Hi, this is Claire Keene, illustrator and author of Once Upon a Cloud, and you are listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 85 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Well, first things first. I said in the last episode that I'd be taking a break for a few weeks or so because my baby was due any day, and in fact, she might even have been born by the time the episode aired. Sure enough, that episode was released April 3rd, but April 2nd, little Adara was born. So I did take these next weeks off, and now we're getting back into it. You'll probably notice a couple of changes, beginning with the interview after this one. Mainly, since there's now a baby in the house, and since I'm frequently in charge of caring for her, there may be some baby sounds in the background now and then. Also, I won't be able to devote as much time and awareness to editing as I have in the past. I'm still going to produce the best-sounding podcast I'm capable of, but it may not be quite what you're used to. Having said that, in this episode, I finally get to share with you an interview I did back in November of last year with Margaret Carey, in person at the KKLA radio studios. Most Disney fans will know Margaret as the original live-action reference model for Tinkerbell, but there is so much more to her than that. I'd been holding this interview because the original plan was to release it at the same time as her new book comes out. However, it's been delayed, so I got her permission to release this now, and when the book actually does come out, we'll do a follow-up. Now, in this episode, Margaret talks about what it meant to be the animation reference model for Tinkerbell, the one scene in Peter Pan that she didn't provide the model work for, who Tinkerbell really is, and what she loves so much about Tink, the one word Margaret would use to describe Miss Bell, what she thinks of the Tinkerbell movies, which one is her favorite and why, and aside about what Walt Disney would, would do with dialogue, something she learned about from Alice Davis. What it was like for her when it started to come out that she was the Tinkerbell model. How Peter Pan got her moving out of the world of radio and into being a voice actor. The different ways she approaches panels and presentations than some others do. What Walt Disney thought of Tinkerbell. Why Tink became the representative of Disneyland. What Miss Bell's favorite ride at Disneyland would be and why. Meeting Walt Disney and why that was so exciting. And meeting and auditioning for Mark Davis. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Listen. Hey, hey, Skywalkers. This is Richard, and over here is my sweetie wife, Sarah. You can call me Jedi Tink. And we are Skywalking Through Neverland. Jimmy Mack here. When you wish upon a podcast, wish upon this podcast. These guys are awesome. (laughs) We are a fan-focused podcast that covers Star Wars, Disney, pop culture, and their fandom communities. The stuff that surrounds us, penetrates us, and binds us all together as instantaneous friends. What do you know? We showcase what people are doing in the world of fandom 
and talk to those who are involved firsthand in the universes that we love. This is Margaret Carey, Tinkerbell. This is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from Star this Wars. Steve Sansweet from Rancho Obi-Wan. Hey, it's James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I happen to be skywalking through Neverland right and now. I'm and skywalking I am through skywalking through Neverland. And I am skywalking through Neverland. I've always hated space travel. <laughs> skywalking through Neverland is the ultimate expression of fandom. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and our website, skywalkingthroughneverland.com. And remember, Neverland on Alderaan. <laughs> and now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Usually I introduce my guests with a short bio, and I'll do that, but this time I also want to start with a story. Margaret Carey was the live-action animation reference model for Tinkerbell in Disney's 14th animated feature, 1953's Peter Pan. A successful voiceover career followed, using Margaret's skills in 21 different dialects and 48 character voices in over 600 animated shows. She later produced her own radio show called What's Up Weekly at 99.5 KKLA, the most listened-to Christian talk radio station in the world. And she continues to be in demand as a keynote and motivational speaker, communications trainer, storyteller, and humorist. Now the story. Back in 2011, I attended the D23 Expo and happened to see Margaret Carey. Notice I didn't say talk to, I just said I saw her. I watched her interact with other fans, and she just seemed like one of the sweetest and most gracious people ever. The very end of the last day, I was going to go over to her table in the collector's forum and say hello, but as I got there, she had packed up and was leaving. My wife, Faye, told me that I should go up to her anyway and that she was sure Margaret wouldn't mind. I didn't do it, though. I didn't want to bother her. As it turns out, Faye was right, and I should have approached her that day, because she is absolutely as sweet and gracious as she seemed, something I learned at the Disneyana shows in February and July of 2014, where we talked about her book, my book, and just basically chatted like we were old friends. So with that, Margaret, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Well, thank you. I, I, I hope I live up to that beautiful introduction. <laughs> I will try my darndest. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I have no doubt. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning, or at least the beginning with Disney, because we could go quite a ways before that, too, I'm sure. I mentioned in the intro that you were the animation reference model for Tinkerbell. Somebody listening may not know what that is. So what is that, uh, and how did you get that job? Well, it is strange that you ask that because I have some friends <clears throat> up in Stockton and Sacramento that when I'm walking down the street, they'll say, hey, oh, hi, Fred, I want you to meet Tinkerbell. <laughs> and, and Fred starts backing away, you know, like, right, mm-hmm. So I, I quickly say, no, I'm the animation reference model for Tinkerbell. Oh, you slide down from the Matterhorn. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, it really is a simple thing if you think that every artist uses a, bo a model mm -hmm. to draw from, a painter, whatever. Animators do the same thing in a well-done animated film. And they cast a person at, in the part. Uh -huh. Then they put them on a soundstage and have a complete uh, camera crew, lighting, everything. My situation was there was a huge cyclorama psych behind us, a blue one, so that they could see the outlines of my body. Okay. And 
but you're cast just as an actor or a dancer, and I happen to be an actor and a dancer and a pantomimist. And then they tell me, or the, the actor, what they want this character to do. And you bring your personality to this character because that's why they've cast you mm-hmm. in, in the part. When I stepped out in front of the camera the first time with darling Mark Davis and Jerry Geronimi sitting there, I said, what, what, what do you want, Mr. Davis? Do you want her to be like Betty Boop? You know, I mean, just sort of crazy and nutsy and so Do you want her to be above it all? What, you know, what, what, what do you want? He said, Margaret, we want her to be you. And I thought, golly, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but doing that for a long time. So what happens is that they have certain scenes that they want me to do. They would call me in because I was working on two television shows. One was a network show. And... Uh, doing some radio, and then a local show where I did two dance numbers on it. And they would call me up and say, we're going to do this scene. When can you come? And so then I would show up. They would show me the uh, storyboard, and I would think about her and the backstory that I gave her. Uh I started out with a backstory with her of who, who she was. And then they filmed that. They give that film to the animators. Mark Davis oversees a lot of it. Maybe some of the complicated scenes he actually animates. But that's the way in a long movie that Tinkerbell looks the same all the way through (laughs) and acts the same because each animator, if there's no model to go with, might do a little bit different here, a little bit differently there. Uh But that's... And they do it that way to... Today, that makes sense. So, did you did you do like posing and things for all of the scenes, or was just kind of major moments that they wanted to capture, and then they could fill in in between? As far as I know, there's only one scene that I didn't work on, and I don't know whether I was available or not. But they brought Catherine Beaumont in, who was doing Wendy, Uh to do this one little scene, and uh, I guess it worked. (laughs) Uh, it, uh, but when you had, you see, when I do the show, when I appear in people and talk, Tinkerbell talks, you right, know, this is, right. <clears throat> I walk as if I walk naturally. Uh-huh. And then I said, but that's not Tinkerbell. Okay. And I stopped because I gave Tinkerbell a very particular walk. Mm-hmm. She does certain things with her hands. She does certain things with her head that I don't do usually. Uh-huh. And I turn into Tinkerbell. I just did a, a show up in Ventura. And you could hear the people gasp. You really could because I turned in to Tinkerbell. <laughs> now, that's a pretty good trick <laughs> right. when you're 85 years old. <laughs> but it's my dancing and uh, my pantomiming, and what who I thought she was. Uh-huh. Makes sense. Do you remember what scene it was that they had Catherine doing? No, I okay. really don't. I really don't. But I, had, I found a picture of her in the uh, photo archives, and here this darling little thing. She was about 14 years old at the time, uh-huh. and skinny as a rail, 
and she's in this one-piece bathing suit that's sort of hanging off of her <laughs> and standing there looking surprised. Bless her heart. <laughs> I filled in the bathing suit. She... <laughs> her not so much. Her not so much. <laughs> that's great. Well, I know that you love Miss Bell very much. So let's talk about her for a little while. I know it's going to be hard to get you to talk about Tinkerbell, but we're going to try. I'll, I'll suffer through. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind of you. What is it that you love so much about her? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the backstory that I write about in my book. Okay. It's, and the chapter's called, Who is Tinkerbell, Really? And when I read the whole book through the unabridged, which I urge everybody to do, because you will learn more about Tinkerbell and Peter and Captain Hook than you ever thought you knew. <clears throat> it's a wonderful book to read by James M. Barry. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought the whole thing was that she had never seen anything outside of Neverland. So when I landed on the mirror, for example, which mm -hmm. is the first scene that I did right. for Mr. Davis, or I can call him Mark now, I'm old enough. <laughs> I guess so was that she had never seen a mirror before. Uh -huh. And she looked down and suddenly realized, oh, that's me. <laughs> and so she's not preening, as they say, the preening pixie. Mm. But she wasn't when I did it. She was surprised and delighted. And that's the thing about Tinkerbell. She's absolutely delighted with life. She can hardly wait to see what's around the corner. And it's sort of like me. She, uh, when it opens up in the book, the first time that we hear about Tinkerbell, Peter is, Tink, Tink, where are you? And she was in a jug, you know. She had never seen a jug before. And she was quite delighted with it. So she went inside. Why did she do that? Because she had never seen any of the, these things, and it was adventure whole. And then I think it's... The childlikeness that is in her, she trusts that it's going to be wonderful. She trusts that there is a place for her. She's important. She knows this. <laughs> so it's none of this, oh, I, you know, I couldn't possibly. It's of course I can uh, kind of thing. And we like that. A lot of the heroes and heroines that we have right now, it's, oh dear, I have all of these deep psychological problems. I'm really getting sick of that, by the way. Mm -hmm. But Tinkerbell doesn't. She just comes right out and, and does what she wants. So I think that she lights up a room. And when Disney sent Catherine Beaumont and me over to London on the 50th anniversary at the remastering, of Peter Pan and the new DVD. We talked, there were 60 press uh, people came. Wow. Uh, some from the same nation, some all the way from Japan. That was really fun. Uh, the one from Sweden was more fun as anybody. <laughs> she, was, she was so excited to be there. <laughs> but I asked these wordsmiths, and I guess I talked to about let's say 25 of them, because you couldn't talk to everybody. And, but I asked them, I said, give me one word that you can think of that really describes Tinkerbell and why she has become 
the third blonde icon in the world. And I said, attitude is not what I'm talking about. And a couple of them tried. It was fair. The others wouldn't even try. And so they would say to me finally, what do you think the word is? And I said, the word is she is beguiling. You love her when she's very naughty. You love her when she's doing beautifully. You can hardly wait to see what she's doing next. So she keeps your attention because her attention is on the future. What is happening? And I guess that's why I I love Tinkerbell. I really, really do. I protect her. Uh-huh. Uh, she doesn't need too much protecting until <laughs> people start taking today's culture and sort of try to lay it on her shoulders. Some of the artists that do these, where she's sitting in a martini glass, mm. I scolded him. I did. I did. And I told him, now look, I'm, old. I'm as old as your grandmother, so you have to listen to me. And he did. And he said, point taken. You know, there's something magical about Tinkerbell, or she wouldn't be. You know who the other two blonde icons were? I'm going to guess Marilyn Monroe is one yes, of them. Yes, uh-huh. And... The other one, Lady Diana. Okay. And at that time, they were the three blonde icons. Uh-huh. Marilyn is not that big anymore, but Tinkerbell still is. <laughs> and Marilyn didn't have a movie made about her. Tinkerbell is still having movies made right. about her. I think she's had about five or six by now. Yes. And they were very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they surprised me. I was delighted because each one of the new ones really taught a lesson. Mm -hmm. Each one of them, and a very important lesson. But unless you stopped and thought about it, you didn't say, it didn't hit you in the face, as they used to say. Right. So in talking to the uh, producers and directors over with the the new uh, group, the the Disney tunes, excuse me, and the, uh, the Disney movies, um, that was the main thing that they wanted to make sure that there was a, that there was a message there. That's correct. And there is for each one. Uh huh. Do you have a favorite of those new ones? Yes, yes, I do. It's the Great Fairy. Uh, oh, the Great Fairy Rescue. Rescue. I always yes. want to say reward. Rescue. Because I just thought it was so clever. You know, everyone would talk to me at first and say, you know that she talks in these movies. <laughs> and I said, yes, but who does she talk to? She talks to oh, the other fairies. Yeah. She talks to the other fairies. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm going to digress for a minute. Okay. One of the things when I was at the El Capitan, we had just come out of seeing hmm, Return to Neverland. Okay. And Alice Davis was out on the street waiting for her car Mm -hmm. to come by and pick her up. And my friend Scarlett Stahl and I were standing there. And we said to Alice, what did you think? She thought it was lovely. It was really lovely. She liked what they had done with Mark's tink Mm -hmm. very much and uh, and the rest of it. She said, but there's only one thing that, that caught her attention. I said, what? She said, Walt Disney would go sit down and go through the whole 
movie with no one around him or a secretary and listen to the dialogue. And he would take out any dialogue that made you believe that the movie was not made in the particular time setting. And she said, if you noticed in um, Return to Neverland, twice uh, Tinkerbell says, uh, not Tinkerbell, but uh, the other character says, okay. She said he would take that, have taken that out in a moment. I thought that was such an interesting aside. Yes. Well, we don't know uh, what time period the new uh, little dis- uh, Tinkerbell movies are in, mm-hmm. but every once in a while I catch that, and I thought, Alice is probably thinking that shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> right. You know? Anyway. So in the um, the great uh, fairy rescue, it is split into two movies, and one of them is Tinkerbell getting trapped and being caught by Liz. Mm-hmm. Accidentally, you know, there was no fuss about it. Again, I digress. I loved it that the scientist father was a nice guy. Yes. You know, you expected him to be the no. Nope, Nice guy. Yeah, anyway, there really was no villain in that no, story. No, there nice. was. So, and then you have them trying to communicate mm-hmm. with each other. That is absolutely precious because that's what we must do: is to learn how to communicate with each other. Right. I live in Southern California, and in Los Angeles County alone, we speak one hundred and thirty-two different languages. We are the diversity capital of the world, and I'm used to it. Mm -hmm. But you try to communicate, and here's Liz and Tinkerbell. And finally, when Tinkerbell has her fly, (laughs) they're communicating. (laughs) And in the meantime, the action part of the movie doesn't get left out Mm -hmm. because the fairies have to rescue her in the rain. Right. And they can... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what happens to them is such fun, such fun. But the interesting part about how clever they were in the storyline, because it comes back to the old fliver, and it's Tinkerbell who tinkers Mm -hmm. with the fliver, the old car, that um, makes it conk out, as they used to say, (laughs) you know, for it, it just... Three parts that I thought were so delicious, but the main thing was the, the two lessons were we are going to help our friend mm-hmm. no matter what, and the other ones, how do you communicate with someone you don't know their language? Right. I just, I loved that one. The others are marvelous. Sure. But, but that one just got me. Very nice. I like that. Now, Disney didn't really publicize you being the reference model for a long time. So what was it like when it started to come out that you were the model for Tinkerbell? Well, it was interesting because I have a sheet of paper that I had framed, uh, or somebody framed for me, a fellow named Freeman, who was one of the great animators, independent animators. He had kept it from a magazine in 1953. And we could never find. I'm not good at this. I'm I'm no detective. So, I, <laughs> but they had evidently a four-page spread 
with the pictures of the reference models. I'll, 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 uh, I'll send you a picture of it. Please. And <clears throat> before that, they had not mentioned reference models evidently very much mm -hmm. because they wanted, well, it took the magic away, they felt. But mm -hmm. here, this 1953, and I guess somebody asked them to do it. Well, the myth went around, uh, and we do believe that it was somebody, an executive on a radio show, it said somebody said she's curvy like Marilyn Monroe, right. and the executive said, "Yes, she does look like Marilyn." Somebody picked it up from there, so the myth got story, and it made sense mm -hmm. uh, that Marilyn was the reference model. So I worked with Marilyn, and she was absolutely adorable, but she was not a dancer. And this part called for a dancer. Later on, she made wonderful moves dancing. She could do anything. She didn't know how good she was, uh -huh. really. But anyway, uh, so I was doing other things. I was doing voiceovers because I had done the Red-Headed Mermaid mm -hmm. in the lagoon scene. And that got me going out, away from radio into doing voiceovers. So I'd been doing all that. Well, my children were growing up. And twice they had seen that the answer was Marilyn Monroe when someone in a book or, well, they were playing a game of Trivial Pursuit, and it said, who was the reference model for Tinkerbell? And they turned the card over, and it said Marilyn Monroe. Well, that was enough for them. <laughs> I didn't know anyone was looking for Marilyn Monroe or even had celebrity shows. I knew nothing of uh -huh. this. So they did some phoning having been in the, near the business all their lives. Their dad is one of the top animated, animation producers. Hmm. And they got to Dave Smith, and they told Dave Smith their story. And Dave said, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and somebody called me up and said, I think it was E.T., Entertainment Tonight, uh -huh. is that right? Yeah. And they said... Um, your pictures on Entertainment Tonight. I said, what? When you were Tinkerbell. And we switched over just like that, and there it was. <laughs> so he had set up that they would tell the story, and there was a picture of me. And that's how it got started. But I still did nothing with it, as I do going out and talking to people about mm -hmm. it, until Chuck McCann. Now, Chuck McCann is one of the great comedians of all times, and you would know immediately um, that he did Laurel and Hardy. Uh, he was uh, the big guy in it. And I had invited him to be interviewed on my radio show, uh -huh. and he had dodged it three times. <laughs> so I went over to Sportsman's Lodge, where he's always at the coffee shop, and caught him. And he said, he changed the subject immediately. He said, Margaret, why aren't you over at the Hollywood Celebrity Show? I said, the what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, there's a Hollywood celebrity show. Ray Quartz and Sharon Quartz have the show over at the Beverly Garland. They would love to have you there. I know they would. So he gave me the number. And I'm thinking, I, 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 got, I was so taken with that that I never asked him again to be on this show. But anyway... <clears throat> So I called the number, and I said it was an interesting, awkward phone call. 
I'm sure. And I, I said, <laughs> is this Ray Quartz? Yes, said Ray, who has a rather scrappy voice. I said, well, this is Margaret Carey. Yes. <laughs> and I said, well, Chuck McCann said that I should call you. For heaven's sakes, why? <laughs> and very nice, but, you know, confused. Right. So I said, well, <clears throat> he thinks that I should probably be in one of your shows. What do you do? And I said, well, I'm the original reference model for the animators for Walt Disney for Tinkerbell. He says, you get yourself right over here. <laughs> and uh, so the next day, I had a few of those photos I was telling you about, that one page. I went and had them copied. Mm -hmm. I, I remember it cost me $28. Wow. And I thought, I'm never going to get that back. But <laughs> my darling husband went over with me, and there were 60 people standing in line waiting for me. Wow. It was, it was the most mind-bending thing you can imagine. <laughs> and that's when I found out that people were interested in Tinkerbell and talking to me. A main thing, a main point that I want to say, you have been to panels, I'm sure, mm -hmm. um, and it's sometimes very, very boring. Right. Well, the truth of the matter is that I'm a speaker, but I'm also an entertainer. I started in show business when I was four years old in Argan Comedies. I have been entertaining, tap dancing, doing storytelling all of my life. So when I come on the stage, it's very different than an animator will say, who is such a talented person, but they're not a speaker and they forget to even use the microphone. Sure. That's, oh, I want to die. <laughs> right. I just want to die. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I got called a lot, and I love doing it. Oh, I just, just adore doing it. And, uh, you know, I mixed in with the outreach and the live shows that I did here for KKLA for 12 years. Mm -hmm. I mixed it in. And so that's how I got started meeting all these wonderful people and traveling. That, that was a long way to tell you this story. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great story. Oh, good, good. <laughs> but it's, it's really, it shocks. I think it shocks Alice Davis. Mm. Alice is a, a lady to her fingertips. And we go sit on a panel. Well, let me tell you. I'm on a panel up in uh, El Capitan. Okay. Don Hahn, the producer, director, is wonderful host, marvelous host. He knows how to use it. A microphone and how to ask the questions. Glenn Keane is there. Um, Collins, Michael Collins is there. He played uh, John. Okay. Um, I've forgotten who else. And, of course, Catherine Grayson. The Catherine Beaumont. <clears throat> so, Don starts right out talking with Catherine Beaumont. She's the first... He said, I have been in love with you for years. You are my first love. Wendy was just, you know, so and so and so and so. And they have a wonderful discussion. She's quite good with the microphone, too, but very, very ladylike, you know. She still has her British accent. Did you know that she taught school for 30 years? No. She taught second grade 
And I used to go, I, I went over a couple of times and entertained the children, but I had to promise not to tell them that she had anything to do with Disney. Mm. So here she had this wonderful voice, and she's answering him and so on. <laughs> and they went down, and um, Paul Collins was, uh, he was fairly good. And they got to me, and Don says, Now, Margaret, Tinkerbell. And I turned my back on him. <laughs> And he says, speak to me. I said, no. No, you let me know who the love of your life is. You think I'm going to sit here and play second fiddle? Never. <laughs> and, well, I, later on, uh, Alice said something. She said, what was the word? I'm going to use this word, but it wasn't quite the word. She said, you were very bold. <laughs> sort of I'm not sure whether that was all right, right. so it is very interesting but I am the entertainer and I am the speaker and I love it uh -huh. but sometimes next to someone else it almost shows them up and I think I get to that place and I say you know the audience is more important that's good yeah there's so many entertainers I've seen who they're the entertainer and you know, they have the spotlight and everything. It's so gracious of you and so aware of what's going on around that you can say the audience is more important. I'm going to not kind of steal the spotlight for myself. I want it to be shared. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think Tink would put up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> and speaking of her again, what did Walt Disney think of Tinkerbell? Well, you know, he would, he put her on the shelf. He wasn't ever going to use her again. Mm. You know that. Yes, I did. And I will make the story very short, but uh, when Walt Disney came up with the idea of a theme park, mm -hmm. and he was paying for it out of his own pocket, as I understand. I've read the story in the Neil Gabler book about six times to make sure I'm you know, I have some of the points right because it business gets very complicated. It does. <clears throat> and um, so the studio really didn't know what was going on. They saw alligators. I saw alligators when I was there that they were fixing for the theme park. Wow. I was wondering what in the world that was, <laughs> as you can imagine. And uh, uh, they were getting very worried. And it's my understanding that Lillian thought it was much too risky when he started on the big event, mm. because as you know, it was to be on about eight acres that belonged to the studio across the street from on Riverside Drive. Mm -hmm. And it was to be called, most of the time, I think it was called Mickey's Village to start with. <clears throat> and then he found out what he could really do with it and went to Anaheim, of all places. <laughs> and then they knew it wasn't going to be a success. <clears throat> but um, uh, it's it's told to me by people who knew people who were there okay. that they asked Roy to say to Walt, do not use any of our main characters because we license them. We make money off of them. If they are part of a theme park that goes belly up, they will not be as magical, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Can you imagine telling Walt Disney that his Mickey village won't have Mickey? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, I don't think that'll go over very well. But Roy was so wonderful. Of course, we know really that Walt Disney could not have done 
what he did without Roy Disney. Mm-hmm. A wonderful man, I'm told. I never met him. I wish I had. <clears throat> but he said, let me think about it a couple of days. A couple of days he said, will you tell them I'm bringing back Tinkerbell and Jiminy Cricket? And that's why on opening day, you saw Tinkerbell on all the maps, on the napkins, on the banners, on the tickets, on the... (laughs) (laughs) I was everywhere. But in the meantime, um, they needed more money because Walt Disney was, was bigger and bigger and bigger, and he was so excited about it. And I'm just going to guess, I think it was about $6 million more, which would be an amazing amount today. Um, But they went to ABC, the almost broadcasting company. (laughs) That's where I worked uh, in front of the camera for five years on network on the Charlie Ruggles show. Mm -hmm. I was the eldest daughter. And so I knew ABC very, very well. Thank you. I'm sure. Um, so they went to Roy did, and uh, you know his financial people and said, "Would you like to be in on it and be a sponsor, etc?" And they said, "Yes, if we could have an hour show uh, of the started out. I think the first name was Disneyland. I, I think. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. So a year before Disneyland was ready, they had this hour show. Well, golly gosh, gee, they picked up eighty percent of the viewing audience. That was amazing." <laughs> I don't think it's ever been done again. But Walt Disney did the smartest thing that you can imagine. He said, let's have Tinkerbell take everybody on the adventure. Mm. So when he talks to Tinkerbell, you can see, I mean, just go back and look at the openings of the show. He adored Tinkerbell. And he, was, he just thought the world of Mark Davis. Mark was his renaissance man. He could do anything. And Tinkerbell was one of the things that he could do. (laughs) (laughs) So I I will answer in proxy for Walt Disney that he adored Tinkerbell. And who who doesn't? Of course. Uh, Who doesn't? Right. (laughs) And since she got to be the park symbolist, you know, right there at the beginning. Uh, I have, they, they took down some of the, castle when they did it over uh, in the 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. and there were um, flagpoles I guess is the best way that I could say at the very top with Uh banners Uh, I would say they were about four feet high gold and shiny with a ball at the top of it well I was over at the archives and they had one there Mm -hmm. and Tinkerbell is on it (laughs) And so they had me sign it. <laughs> so in the archives is Margaret Carey <laughs> and then Tinkerbell on, and it flew over the castle for 50 years. Mm-hmm. It's sort of neat, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. What do you think her favorite ride at Disneyland would be? Except for the height requirement thing, because there's something she couldn't go on because she's like four inches tall. But if she could, if she could do anything there, oh, there's no question. It'd be my favorite ride. Okay. Yes. Um, do you know about the Ryman Arts Institute? I've heard of it. Yes. And Marty Scalar mm-hmm. is very big, and it started it scholarships for young artists, and we raise funds. We've uh, I go all the time and, and donate things, and and you know appear, uh-huh. and 
one of the things that they had was we were auctioned off to fans uh, to spend an afternoon with that fan on the celebrity's favorite ride. I thought it was terribly clever. Absolutely. So my favorite ride, nobody <laughs> bid on me for a while because they didn't <laughs> like the ride. And finally I told them, you don't have to. But my favorite ride is the teacups. Mm. Yes. And just, the, I, you should see the look on his face right now. It was like, oh. <laughs> but the interesting part about the teacups, if you do it correctly, uh-huh. you can stop it from spinning. It's the only ride that I know of that you have some control over. Yeah. I, or you can spin it until you get sick. Right. You know, it's, it's either or. Well, uh, I think I was worth $900. And this very, very nice man t- took me around uh, on the afternoon, and we went. To, so we finally got on the teacups, and I held it steady. He was amazed. <laughs> he always thought you had to do the other way. Uh-huh. So he asked to go again. <laughs> so it's got to be Tinkerbell's favorite, too. Of course. And I will ride the teacups with you any time. Right. <laughs> I love the teacups. They're so much fun. Uh, I usually do the spin fast thing, but I think it would be fun to do it the other way, too. Well, it, it is it, because the centrifugal force of what the ride itself is doing is so interesting, what your body is doing and how it's changing as you're going around. Uh-huh. And then there's another centrifugal force on the outside that's making everything else spin, that is a different feeling altogether. Definitely. How fun. Uh, we were talking about Walt a minute ago. I probably should have asked that question later, but uh, did you really get to meet him very yes, much? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And in my book, uh, the title of it is, if you can see it in your mind's eye, uh, small font, yes, then a little larger font, yes, and then a great big, huge capital, yes. I met Walt Disney. <laughs> That's the title. And it was just serendipity. Uh, I had worked at almost every, well, yes, at every major studio, I think, except Republic growing up. I was in 37 motion, major motion pictures, mostly the blur that went by or the little bit player, having a lovely time. Sure. And because I like television better. Oh. I worked a lot more on television. I'm Motion pictures are a bore. I didn't say that, did I? Yes, no. yes, I did. Okay. Okay. Um, so You're Tinkerbell. You can say whatever you want. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so we were on the big sound stage, and we had the big door open, the one that you could drive the trucks in and out, uh-huh. because there was no playback. She, I didn't have to match any dialogue, like Wendy and the kids had to, mm-hmm. and, and so. <clears throat> so, and it let the the warmth in. The sound stage is a very cold place, and when you can have the sun shining in, it's great. So we had just finished doing one scene. We were ready to uh, to take a second take on it, so that they. I was too take tink. <laughs> I would do the first one, he'd like it, and he'd say, "Let's do it again for protection." Okay. And I looked up and I saw these shadows. And one of them I recognized immediately, and it was Buddy Ebsen, because nobody walks like Buddy Ebsen. (laughs) I had never met him, but you just knew it was Buddy Ebsen. And this group was walking in, and they were walking over to the wall, 
uh, where there was some, some a riser about, I guess, about 16 inches off the floor. Mm-hmm. And then on the back of the wall there were great huge uh, squares that had been drawn on paper and tacked to the wall. And um, so they were overworking on something. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, oh. Uh, but I did not know that Walt Disney was with them okay. because I was doing my thing. Right. So they wrapped it up, whatever it was, and this one body sort of separates and comes over to talk to the cameraman and to uh, Jerry Geronimi and to Mark Davis. Jerry Geronimi is one of the three directors of the whole movie. Okay. And uh, they called me over. Well, I'm, I was brought up in a time, well, let's put it this way. Uh, my parents were born when Queen Victoria was still on the throne, and I went to a girls' school. Okay. So you called everyone Mr. or Mrs., not right. by their first name, and they're calling me over to meet Walt Disney. <laughs> and as I'm walking over, looking frantically for my cover-up, because you did not walk around in your bathing suit without a cover-up at that time. Mm-hmm. Even in one piece, you just didn't. And I'm thinking, what, what do I do? Hi, Mr. Disney. Ooh. Hello, Walt. <laughs> no, that wouldn't do. Hi, Uncle Walt. No, that wouldn't do. <laughs> so the four or five times that he dropped by to chat, I made sure never to use his name. <laughs> now, I wish I could say he remembered my name, but he didn't. He was there to chat with, with Mark Davis and, and the cameraman and Jerry Geronimi. Very sweet, very easy to talk to. They would include me in some of the conversation. They were short. And the one time that I told Jerry Geronimi that I had gone to school with both the daughters, Sharon and Diane, over at Monticello School for Girls, evidently he had mentioned it (laughs) to Walt Disney. And right in the middle of everything, uh, as he was talking, he turned around to me and he said, I understand you went to school with my daughters. Now, I wish I could say I said something brilliant, but I didn't. I stood there like a schoolgirl, you know, with reverse fig leaf with my hands in the back, you know, the feet together, and said, yes, uh, one was in an upper grade, one was in a higher grade, and one was in a lower grade. You know, big, big deal. I'm right. And going, drat. <laughs> and, and he stepped away, and he came, you know, just sort of threw back over his shoulder, Something like, I'm sure they liked you. You know, I said, thank you. <laughs> but yes, 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 I met Walt Disney. And he was slimmer than I thought. Now, let me put a little background by why it was so exciting. Okay. I had just come from Fox as an assistant dance director working with Roland Dupre, whom I suggested to be the reference model for Peter Pan. And he was. He was cast as Peter Pan. But I had just finished working with him at the big musical at Fox with Gloria Haven and June Haver and Dennis Day. <clears throat> and at Fox, and in most places, if the executives come around, you almost see in your mind's eye trumpeters walking in, you know, in uniform. Right. But the buzz starts around. The execs are here. The execs are here. Everything stops, and you 
try not to look at them, but you make a way for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the dancer standing next to me said, Margaret, do we curtsy? What? <laughs> I mean, literally. Yeah. But I noticed her voice wasn't strident or anything. It was very quiet, as if they were royalty. When I was up in the projection room the first time that I saw uh, Tinkerbell animated, there was no room for Mr. Disney to sit. And he walked in, and, and somebody said it was behind me. Uh, somebody said to him, um, here, Walt, take my seat. And Walt said something like, no, I'm fine. Well, I came from all these different studios where they would have a you know, velvet ribbon across four seats, and you'd have your head handed to you mm-hmm. if, you've, if you sat in them or even got near them. So to talk to the head of the studio, to talk to the head of the studio who was Walt Disney, (laughs) and I was a huge Disney fan, to talk to him in a situation where I just wasn't one of the crowd. Uh But I was there with Mark Davis and Jerry Geronimi, and I wish I could remember the cameraman's name, but I can't. Um, You know, a little tete-a-tete. And I, I was just beside myself the first time. It was like my voice went. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew how the odds of ever doing that were amazing. Yeah. And then it happened three or four more times. Wow. Yeah. That's so exciting. Yes. <laughs> I still get excited over it. <laughs> sure. You obviously spent a lot more time working with Mark Davis. Yes. What was he like working with him? Mark Davis was an interesting person in the idea that when I went through the photo archives to pick up photos of Tinkerbell and, uh-huh. you know, me doing Tinkerbell and other things, that, and Roland Dupre as Peter Pan and Wendy and Bobby Driscoll, who was my brother in the movie that I just made at RKO, and now, of course, he was the voice of Peter Pan. By the way, did it ever surprise you that he does not have a British accent? Kind of. Everybody yeah. else in the movie has a British accent, <laughs> right. except Bobby. And Bobby was perfectly capable of it. I mean, he was brilliant, you know. Uh-huh. He got a junior Oscar. Did you know that? I did not know Oh, that. look him up. They said that the picture would have been nothing without Bobby Driscoll, and he got an Oscar Jr. for it. Wow. Called uh, Windows, I think. Hmm. <clears throat> anyway, so I'm going through the archives, and I said, but there's nothing here of Mark Davis. And Ed Square, who, who ran the archives, said, he said, we have hardly any photos of Mark. If you have a group, you will see Mark in the back. He was a rather retiring man, happy, wonderful sense of humor. He really did, but it was a chuckle, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like he was in, internally, he was really enjoying whatever <laughs> it was. So they used the same photo for him for, <laughs> I don't know, just about everything. <laughs> but when I went to meet him, um, it gives you a little idea. I had brought my... You remember the 45 records with the big hole in the middle? Sure, yeah. Um, I had uh, choreographed the night before I went there um, a little three-minute three number to a rec- recording of a nine-year-old kid 
fixing breakfast. Okay. Because how how do you interview for a kid uh, for a, a part where they don't talk, they don't do anything? <laughs> right. So I thought this would be very very smart of me. So I brought my little player. It's quite small, mm-hmm. and the record was quite small. So when I sat down the first in his office, which was very crowded, mm-hmm. I was surprised. Two animation tables, sir, and pictures of Tinkerbell all around the wall. <laughs> I I took my uh, player out so that I could get to my photo and to my uh, credit sheet. Mm-hmm. And he's I he says, "What's that?" And I said, "I told him what I had done." He says, "Oh, well." Uh, after we talked a little bit, he said, "Well, let let's see what you can do." And I said, "Okay." And I couldn't find a plug, <laughs> so he says, "Wait a minute. Somebody wants you to uh, see this." So he called up Jerry Geronimi, and down he came, or across the hall he came, or wherever he was. Uh-huh. And there was no plug that I could find. So these two guys got down on their hands and knees to find an electric plug, <laughs> which was quite a picture. Anyway, but they were solemn about it. I mean, I had done this, so they were good. And uh, so I did my, uh, my pantomime, and... Uh, I got some laughs out of it. You could see that. Uh, Cl- um, Clyde or Jerry Geronimi was uh, a guffaw. He loved to guffaw. <laughs> and so afterwards, um, uh, they asked me to do uh, land on the mirror on dress uh, on uh, Wendy's dresser top, okay. and uh, do the uh, look and you know so, which I did. And they both seemed to like that. And the uh, uh, a little bit later, they're finished talking with me. Well, this was 1950. And there was a lot of discussion going on about directors asking to see actresses' legs. Hmm. Because this led to things that Hollywood was getting quite a reputation. Uh, yes. So my mother, before I left, said, you know, I said, they're going to want to see my legs. She says, put on your ballet tights. So I, but the fun thing was that um, Mark Davis did not want to ask. (laughs) And it was Jerry Geronimi, uh, Margaret, uh, we'd like to see your legs. And Mark Davis sort of looked away. <laughs> he was embarrassed on this. And I said, certainly, because I had tights on, so it didn't bother me in the slightest. Uh-huh. But it was just to see Mark just, uh, you know, this was one thing that they they had to finish up with. But I saw him do that often. He was a gentle man. And you put those two words together, he was a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he couldn't help it. It was bred in him. Uh, he could be raucous, I'm sure, with the guys. And I talked to Catherine Beaumont about this, but I said, you know, I'm standing there in a one-piece bathing suit. I'm surrounded by males on the crew, and some of them rough or ready, you know, kind of thing. And I never heard uh, a swear word. I never heard a comment. And she said, I felt protected, too. And Mark was one that you would do that with. Hmm. Yes, he would protect a woman. 
and he was he was just fun to be with. That's great. Well, interesting thing about Mark. Okay. Uh, they have the commissary. You've been on on the, the lot, and this wonderful commissary. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Margaret Carey for being my guest and to you for listening. Be sure to tune in to the next episode where we talk even more about what inspires her, more about Tinkerbell, her advice to you, and more. And believe me, she has some great opinions and definitely has some advice, so you're going to want to tune in for that. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like my book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. You can pick that one or any of the 150,000-plus audiobooks as your free trial book, and it's yours to keep whether you choose to continue your membership or not. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com audible for your free audiobook. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music or art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had a special encounter or an interaction with a cast member that's made some extra Disney magic, or had any special Disney experience that you want to share, maybe you've had a chance to meet Margaret Carey, or maybe something about Tinkerbell or the Peter Pan original movie especially uh, touched you in some way and you'd like to share that, I would love to hear from you as well. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. The more ratings we get, the more people can find it, and the more people then can hear these wonderful guests. I really am not particularly interested in them hearing me, but I really want to be able to share these stories that my guests have brought to the table and have brought to you with as many people as possible. I think that they really deserve that. And the way that you can help them to do that is to leave a review and a rating in any of those places. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic, too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, and this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. 
Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.